Hi, everyone. Uh, Juliet is not just my wife. She's been my wife for 22 years. And I think that's, that's quite a blessing to me personally. And I really appreciate God for that. Uh, it's a joy to be together with you tonight. And, you know, as we walked in and sat down, I was looking at the announcements going up. And I saw that there's something coming up tomorrow at 7.30. And the way God works is really, really so amazing. Uh, Howard has no idea what I wanted to talk about. If anybody have an idea what I want to talk about here, it might be James, because it started out at a reflection at seminary. Um, but he's got no idea. So all I can say is that by the time I stop, if you've got any questions, please ask Howard tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> And, and he will, you know, because we, we're part of African Land Mission, and that exposes us to travel around the continent, and you go to places, you see things. I'm a child of the continent. I know the kind of spiritual battle that subsists, that goes on. And sometimes you sense God will want you to share something, a little bit of that, but you're not sure, and you're really wondering, is it really the right place or not? And... You have this battle in your mind, or maybe I should just come and pour some missionary guilt on everybody, you know, and, and you're really wondering what to do. And, but you still get a sense like, just put it out there. Like, you know, you're not sure. You, you, I mean, all of you that preach, you know that kind of battle that you go through. And I just thought that, I, I think it's not what I usually talk about, but I just want to put it out there. And then when I saw that, I said, okay, that's great. So let's, let's work our way through this, this um, reflection that I think God has placed on my heart. Um, just brief reflection out of God's word so that um, if there are questions arising from there, we can talk to Howard. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together in worship and in looking into your word and just belonging to you. We praise you for the victory of the cross and we're just coming out of Easter and we praise you for that mighty victory that has been accomplished on the cross. And we echo it again that it is finished and we praise you for it. We honor you. And we magnify your name. And tonight, as we reflect out of your word, we just pray for the enabling of your spirit. That all that will take place here will bring much glory to you. That you'll be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So, obviously, it's Sunday after Easter. And uh, there are various names for it. I won't go there. But I remember very well when I came in here Easter Sunday morning. We thought we were early, but we still couldn't find seat. You know, the place was packed, and that's amazing. People love to come to church and celebrate the victory of the cross and rejoice in that reality. But so many times we fail to see through to the day-to-day -day living of that reality in our life after Easter Sunday. And I see lots of young faces here, and I'm excited because that's the future of the gospel. And it has to be young people that are willing to push forward the reality of Easter beyond just Easter Sunday to their day-to-day -day life. 
and going forward. And in doing that, they're growing the kingdom. They're expanding the kingdom. And as soon as you begin to step into growing and expanding the kingdom, you face an adversary. You face the person whose sole mandate is to make sure that the kingdom doesn't expand. The kingdom doesn't grow. And I'm so glad that by the grace of God, we have people here that are willing to take the experience of the cross of Easter beyond just Easter Sunday in growing the kingdom of God. And you can say amen to that. All right. So let's begin with the reading um, of the book of Luke, chapter 22. Luke, chapter 22, I think, uh, did I put it up? Is the reading there? Yeah? Okay. Very strange reading. Say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. What an abrupt ending, you know, to some very good flow of story. But it's important that you see that Jesus sort of said, they're not getting it. Stop it. <laughs> you know. Okay, you're not getting this, just stop it. Because he was trying to communicate something to them, and they just were not seeing that. So when he said, that's enough, he wasn't saying that those two swords were, was enough for the battle, you know, like we will think. That, that wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, okay, enough now, just stop it. You, you're not getting this. We'll try it again next time. <laughs> Because it's really, really strange. I would have thought, you know, the same with the disciples. I would have thought, you know, the way they thought. Because look at how he started it. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like a wheat. So maybe we can just push quickly. Um, yeah, you can push on. It appears to me that because this was happening around the closing moments of Jesus' life, and he was trying to communicate something of importance to them, it appears to me as if Satan, on the other hand, was getting frantic. And you will need to read a little bit before where we read to see something that's really strange when it says Satan entered Judas. Did you see that? Can we flip back there a little bit? Did we... 
go through fast? Somewhere that says Satan, uh, Satan entered Judas? Where's that? Previous one. Help us. <laughs> Take us back. We get in there. There was a place where it says Satan entered Judas. What was that? That's really strange, isn't it? Okay, never mind. You can go read it sometime. <laughs> but if you read the third verse of chapter 22, you see that spoken there. And push forward to the next slide, please. Push forward. Okay, go again. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Now here we come. Now look at the second point. It seems like Satan was getting frantic and making his final move too. Verse 3 says, then Satan entered Judas Iscariot. What's that? How does that happen? That's really strange. And it seems like Satan always wants more. He's had Judas. Now he wants Simon. And in fact, he wants all of the disciples. And how will you feel if I tell you that he still wants more and he actually wants you? So it doesn't sound great. Didn't sound great to me either. I battled to tell you that, that Satan wants you. I, I, I really battled to tell you, seated here looking at me, bright face, to say, he wants you. He really does. And I really trust that you will get past the fear or the, or the worry that that could bring and see it through to the possibility that lies ahead of that. Okay, can we push forward a little bit? Just a few reflections. First thing that I would want to put across is that therefore Satan is not a figment of our imagination. He's a real being. And Howard must tell you more about that. But we live in a time and a generation that we want to wish Satan away. And I get a bit hesitant. You know, I, I still remember many years ago, um, an elderly man stood in front of us and said, you know, I see all of you bright-faced young people holding promise for the kingdom, and you know very little about the enemy of the kingdom. And we're wondering, what's he talking about? So you know very little about your enemy. And sometimes I get a bit concerned that we're playing another generation that know very little about that, that enemy and therefore are standing in a place of difficulty to advance the kingdom. And so can we understand at least in Revelation chapter, 20, chapter 12, verse 9 to 10, how the Revelation describes this enemy of the, of the people of God. He said the great dragon... The ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, he leads the whole world astray. The accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's pretty serious stuff. That's what we're dealing with. That's the kind of spiritual personality that stands against people that are committed to advancing the kingdom. When he wanted Peter and the disciples, what was on his mind was that the next generation of the victory of the cross must be wasted. Because if he can get a hold of them like he got a hold of Judas, that next generation of Christianity is wiped. 
And I'm so grateful that he didn't have his way. And I can say to you before I even get there that in your life, I believe you also not have his way. And you can say amen to that if you want. I, I really believe. I really believe that if you side with the victory of the cross, he won't have his way. Sad reality is that if you really don't side with the cross, he's looking for you and he wants you. <laughs> so, this tells us something about him, that he's a real believer. And what's the next thing on the slide? Something in this sounds like the book of Job. Something about an unseen realm that has big effect on the seen physical realm. Something of that. And so the book of Ephesians helps us to make a bit of sense of that. If you can push forward to Ephesians chapter 6, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why do you need to be strong in the Lord? Because in your own strength and power, you really cannot face that enemy. But if you're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and you put on the whole armor of God, and you take your stand against the devil's schemes, there is possibility of victory. So Ephesians says, for we wrestle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So as we move forward to the next point, um, I think it's enough to just say that there is such an unseen realm that the forces of evil operate from and they seek to deceive, if possible, the whole world. So this is not to put you in fear or to make you see a demon behind every bush, but to say that there is need for a call to discernment in the body of Christ. There's need for a call to discern what is really at work. Is this the spirit of God at work or the spirit of deception? Because one of the biggest things the enemy of the church uses is to deceive. Deception is one of the biggest of his scheme is to deceive. So this is more a call to the need for discernment and maybe the desire for the gift of discernment more than other gifts of the Spirit. When you find a people, a church, a congregation that is desiring to grow in understanding the workings of the Spirit, I believe that there is a big need for a crying out for the gift of discernment. Because we live in a day and age where the biggest thing the enemy uses is to deceive. He wants to deceive the whole world. Next thing, he has power. But praise God, he's not all-powerful. And the power is to influence negatively and to cause harm or at least make nonsense of your life. That's what he wants to do. He wants you because he wants to sift you like a wheat. Now, I think I said somewhere the sifting may not necessarily be a bad thing, but when it's from the devil, you know it's bad. You know, because normal sifting of grain is what the process that brings out the chaff from the real wheat and, you know, uh, from the real seed. And it's a good thing. You know, it helps to separate. But when it comes from the devil, the intention is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It doesn't have any good reason. But because he is not all-powerful, he has to request from God the power he needs to afflict and to inflict and to cause difficulty. Therefore, we can say that he's not all-powerful. And even though he wants to sift and make nonsense of your life, because you line up with the cross and the victory of the cross, 
God can turn that around and bring something good out of it. So he has power, but he's not all powerful. To influence negatively and to cause harm or at least to make nonsense of your life. And I really pray today that everyone that's here today, you will be such a mighty instrument in the hands of God that the enemy will not be able to make nonsense of your life. That you will not be able to waste your life. That you will not be able to blow your life in all directions to a point where there is nothing of substance that eventually come out of your young life. That you will be so powerful in the hands of God that the enemy will not be able to make nonsense sift you. My wife is worried about me. She might. Okay, let's push quickly to the next point. So Jesus will never take sides with the enemy against you. He will rather take sides with Peter and his servants against the devil. But he does that through prayer. He said, but I have prayed for you. In other words, Jesus said, I have thwarted Satan's plan over you in prayer. Yes, he wants to have you. Yes, he is powerful to cause, you know, to, to, to influence your mind and to deceive and to cause all kinds of evil and pain. But Jesus said, I have stopped his plans for you through prayer. And I believe with the whole of my heart that the antidote to the work of the enemy today is prayer. What's in the next slide? Okay, before we go there, before we go there, let me say this to you. That when Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you, I believe that if Peter paid attention to that, he will understand that there is something about how to stop the works of the evil one. And I have done that. And if you can see that, and if you can understand, and if you can put that to work, Peter, you can also stop the works of the evil one. As powerful as he is, as vicious as he is, I have thwarted his plans and his work through the power of prayer. And I want to encourage every young person to take that seriously. You don't have to be bound in fear of what the enemy can do. If you will take your place in the place of prayer, you can thwart his works. You can thwart his plans. You know, as a missionary, one of the things that concerned me many years ago was I, I tried to take a look at the people. Where's the clock? Okay, I better keep my eye on the clock. <laughs> um, I try to take a look at the people that are constantly, consistently praying for our mission organization and our missionaries. And I, I, I became very concerned, very worried, because majority of them are the departure lounge of life. You know that place? It's like too far away from your reality right now. They're great people. Nothing, not passionate people, godly people, 
but most of them have few more years to live on this earth. They've got to go back home to God. And I really felt very concerned. Why is it that we don't have another generation that is stepping into that place of passionate prayer, that place of secret prayer that stops the works of the evil one, that thwarts the works of the enemy, that stops the enemy from advancing and rather advances the kingdom of God? Why are we not even having people that respond positively to prayer meetings? Why is it that prayer meeting is the lowest attended event ever? Why is it so? It, it wasn't always so. It wasn't always. I, 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 you know, to the glory of God, I've experienced a little bit of a period of time where prayer meeting was the most exciting event. Powerful. Powerful. And you could, we could see how the kingdom of God advanced coming out of a place where Islam is very strong, persecution is real. How will the kingdom of God advance if there were no people that are pressing in God in prayer and really pushing back the forces of darkness? I want to encourage you that the enemy is powerful, but he's, he's only as powerful as your prayer will let him be, <laughs> if I can say it that way. Okay, so push it forward quickly. Your faith is the point of contention. Your trust and reliance on Christ, regardless of your circumstance, he said, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Reliance on the one by whose name and authority every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth is key. And it's amazing that that scripture gives us the various realms of oppression of spirit forces. And it says, by the name of Jesus, in reliance on that authority and that name, every knee shall bow. And there is a fine line of difference between trusting in Jesus' authority and name in faith and, in and, and just being presumptuous. One of the ways that you can check yourself and pull yourself back from working in presumption is when your commitment to the place of prayer begins to die out. When you begin to lose desire for prayer, commitment to prayer. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about your heart drawing to the place of prayer and reliance on God. Once you begin to lose that, be careful because you might think you're walking in faith and trusting in the finished work of Christ, but you're actually working in presumption. And you, you, you don't face this enemy working in presumption. You face this enemy working in faith, in trust, in reliance, in looking to the one in whose name and authority every knee must bow. So prioritizing prayer is the antidote against working in presumption. We don't advance the kingdom by presumption. We advance the kingdom by faith, isn't it? And how we express that faith and trust and confidence is in prayer, in the place of prayer. Okay, can we push to the last point? When you have turned, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus said to Peter, you will make the turn. <laughs> he said to Peter, you're going to turn true. You're going to make it true. And it, it gives me confidence to say, if for some reason you feel you're under attack, you're under deception, you, you're not even sure of your relationship with Christ, 
if for some reason you just feel you're in that space where this doesn't even make sense to you because there's no living relationship with Christ, or you have relationship with Christ but you're just feeling uh, under that satanic attack or demonic deception or whatever it is that the enemy is throwing against you, Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're going to make the turn. You're going to make the turn. But when you turn, strengthen your brothers. And I firmly believe that if we walk in discernment and we begin to pray for one another to make that turn as the body of Christ, people will make the turn. I strongly believe that if we pray for one another in faith, they will make the turn. They will. They will make the turn. Jesus says, Peter, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And when you do turn back, if you're sitting here listening to me, when you turn back, remember to strengthen your brothers. Remember to take hands with others that might be struggling. Remember to take hands with others that you think they're going through deception of the enemy. Remember to take hands with those that you think are going through some attack of the evil one. Remember to stand with them in the place of prayer. And if you do that in faith, I believe they will make the turn. Amen? All right, let's, let's bring it to a close. Can we ask the Lord for a gift of discernment to be more aware of the schemes of the evil one in our day and time? Um, can we ask the Lord to strengthen and enable us to prioritize prayer? Can we commit to strengthening one another more through praying for one another? And what other practical ways is the Lord showing us towards strengthening one another? We can take a pause for a minute. And then, Pastor, you can close for us.